What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 83 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Let's try to do a little bit of, uh, what's his name, the announcer for the boxing uh, matches? Buffer? Yeah, Michael Buffer. I was trying to do, I was trying to summon my inner Michael Buffer for that one. Episode 83 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. My name is Josh. I'm here with my co-host, Mike, who is sounding very chipper and happy today. Why are you so happy, Mike? Uh, I don't really know why. I guess I just got enough sleep last night, and I have some caffeine going through my system because of the Mountain Dew ice. Oh, Mountain Dew ice. So you're you're living up to the stereotypical nerd who likes Mountain Dew. <laughs> is that what's going on? Well, actually, I prefer Mel Yellow, but uh, ice is the new one that they came out with, and it's actually quite good because it's smoother, reminds me of Mel Yellow, and a little bit of Sprite. Um, but it, it's just, it's not as overly sugary sweet as Mountain Dew can be yeah. or as acidic as, as Mountain Dew can be. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I hope they keep this. I hope this is not like a limited thing that only lasts for a few months. Is it a Mountain Dew for adults? I don't know. I wouldn't. Maybe. <laughs> We're doing some live taste testing right here, folks. This is the first. <laughs> Um, if you haven't been able to tell, I am sick, and, um... He's sick of your shit. Yeah, sick of my own <laughs> shit, absolutely. I absolutely am. No, I, I mean, it's kind of a testament to, like, how little I get sick, because I don't think I've ever been sick on this podcast, so... Yeah, I don't I don't get sick that much either. Yeah. Like, the, the most I get is maybe I get a cold, or my allergies act up, but then I've, I've realized now that it's not really allergies, it's, uh... A temperature change <laughs> no oh it's it's uh it's it's changes in temperature which mess with uh uh i'm trying to think of the right word it's fuck come on come on brain your froncusial tubes <laughs> what uh, i i i, I that, that's a thing maybe uh it's a uh, pressure changes that's what happens the barometric pressure changes, and then it just wreaks havoc on my sinuses, and there, there, there's really nothing you can do about that. I'm not alone. Like I've looked up on it, and people are like, yeah, every now and then I suffer when temperature changes because uh, of the damn barometric pressure changes. And Yeah, I, man, my froncusial tubes are all fucked up, man. <laughs> I can't do anything today, blah, blah, blah. Froncusial no. tubes, folks. That's a real thing. <laughs> I wonder how many people will look this up to see if that's her. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm not dealing with that today, so, you know. Well, good for you. I guess the barometric pressure is just messing with me hardcore because my voice is all messed up. And you know me, folks. I have I have a golden voice. So if you just have a cold that you caught by, you know, snogging some people at the gas station that you should, you know, stay away from. Yes. As my voice cracks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, whenever you're going inside or leaving a gas station, mm. there's those shaky people who are like, hey, excuse me, excuse me. And I just walk right past them. Well, in the past few years, I've, I've gotten into a really dirty habit of uh, making out with those people instantly. <laughs> uh, so, excuse me. Excuse me. I go, oh, come here, baby. I'm like, huh. <laughs> and I guess that finally made me sick. You know, should not make out with people uh, that stand outside of gas stations. Uh, is a lesson I learned now, and uh, I'm carrying it with me. So, 
So anyway, this episode of our podcast, we're going to be redoing, remastering. It's a remix. Remix, remixing. (laughs) Oh, that was awful. I don't blame you for turning it off right now, folks. I really don't. I'm done. No, Josh is just too much for me. Too 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 much cringe for you. Sorry about that. Um, So a lot of you may know, as I talk like Bill Cosby for some random reason, uh, a lot of people may know that when we first started off, we liked the pudding pops. You know, you can't do Bill Cosby without saying pudding pop. No. Anyway, and- we are we are remixing our early episodes, uh, just two of them for now. Um, and the reason why is because the audio w- is so awful. Yes. In those earlier episodes. And, I mean, it sounds like we recorded the segments underwater inside of a phone booth with uh, a really shitty mic that we bought from goodwill <laughs> uh that is exactly how we recorded episode one mike way to give away our <laughs> trade secrets asshole um but yeah we did do that and um apparently that's not a favorable way to listen to audio as you no. have all let us know and you know i didn't again i've said it like i sound like a broken record when i say this but I didn't know how long this podcast was going to last, so I wanted to get all of my favorite Unsolved mystery segments out of the way at the beginning of the podcast. So if you go back and look at like our first 10 episodes, it's like all the big hitter segments. That Yeah, and it's like the same thing for me too. Yeah, because like, like I think yeah. we didn't know how long we were going to do it, so it's like all my f- absolute favorite segments are in like the first 10 episodes. And yeah, and we might and we might redo some of them uh, as do more remixes in the future. <laughs> yeah, but episode one and especially episode two, talking about the Tallman House ghost, just the worst audio. And and those episodes deserve better. If you hi- if you elect me as your new mayor, of Massachusetts, I will promise you. Uh, that was my Australian Kennedy attempt. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that was. Again, I apologize for the uh, horrible impersonations. This podcast is free, may, may I remind you? But yeah, so we're going to be redoing episode one of our podcast that first aired in June of 2016. Well, a, por- a part of it. I mean, there's one segment that we're just like, man, we, we don't really need to reiterate it. But um, yeah, actually, now that I think about it, this is this is this is a remix in every sense of the word, because we're taking yeah. a segment from episode two Roswell and uh-huh. we're taking Liz Carmichael from episode yeah. one. We already so, redid Son of Sam, and there's a lost love that we're uh-huh. not going to redo. No. Maybe in the future, but not not today. So it's really nothing like uh, <laughs> <laughs> redoing the first episode. It's completely inaccurate from what it's, I initially it's, said. It's, it's a remix. Yeah. There you um, go. So we're going to start out with the curious case of Liz Carmichael and the Dale. Yes. Uh, this is a segment that I remember growing up. This, um, this was chosen initially for the uh, first episode of our podcast. Yeah, I picked it because I was like, I liked it. I thought it was interesting. I had never heard of the Dale. I had never heard of Liz Carmichael until I saw the segment for the first time. And then Josh told me that, oh, yeah, that's a segment I remember. Yeah. But like he, he kind of forgot about who it was really about. Like He just remembered certain aspects and certain sequences. Um, it's kind of how uh, things were for me with uh, the uh, business guy who try who disappears, like the his car is on fire in the middle of a field or something. 
I still don't, I, I I talked about that segment already, but like I, I I don't remember the name of the guy off the top of my head. But um, so it's kind of like that. Yeah. So um, this is a segment that I remember growing up, and you know it's crazy how much like me and Mike will we we really like the same kind of segments. So he like brought yeah. that segment up, and it's like hell yeah, you know, like I forgot the name of this person, and this. <laughs> You know, this is one of those unsolved mystery segments where you have snapshots of the show in your mind, and there's just certain because the reenactments are so good. Some sometimes, I'd say most of the times, yeah. they're they're so good that they do such a good job of painting the picture of exactly what they're talking about. So you see, you know, the abandoned factory where no cars are being made mm-hmm. and all these other kind of things, and it sticks with you. So this one was one of those segments, and there were some stuff that I noticed uh, more of that I didn't when we first talked about this like you know subtle things like robert stack holding a replica like a toy car version of the dale uh while he's standing in a courtroom i love that imagery and i want that toy car (laughs) i know you gotta wonder what happened to all these like props from the show you know one of the stage hands still has them somewhere so Anyway, in 1973, America was faced with an oil crisis that nearly crippled the country. Consumers wanted a solution, cheaper gas or more fuel-efficient cars. One visionary claimed she had the perfect solution, a revolutionary three-wheeled vehicle called the Dale. And, you know, if you've ever seen car showcases from, like, the 60s and 70s, they showed some of the most outlandish, like, spacey, meet-the-Jetsons kind of looking cars. This would be one of those cars. It is a absolutely hideous, hideous yes. car. It looks like a boat with wheels. It, it, yeah, it does. It does look like a boat. It looks like a boat that's on the back of a trailer hitch, but it's all you see is the two wheels of the trailer hitch. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It. 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 It looks. Yeah. It's a hideous banana yellow color, which I guess in the seventies was a was a, a happening color. Those those yeah. primary colors like just. Tobacco yellow. Like the Pinto and the Gremlin. Yeah. Um, and, and also the name, the Dale. Like Dale? <laughs> I mean, what kind what kind of name is that? I don't I don't should have named why is it called the Dale? They should have named it the Hot You Hut. Or the Carmichael. Oh yeah, the Carmichael. That that actually has a ring to it. So this car supposedly cost less than two thousand dollars. And would get 60 miles to the gallon. Made of a special aerospace plastic, its creator claimed it could withstand an impact against a brick wall at 50 miles per hour. Now, yeah, I don't know what the logistics of any of that means. Like, what, what's, what do normal cars withstand if they drove into a brick wall? You know, I don't know any of these statistics. So, I, I you know, that sounds like a fairly decent thing. But something about aerospace plastic... And hitting a brick wall at 50 miles per hour doesn't really compute in my mind. No, it doesn't for me either, especially the special aerospace plastic. Oh, this is not your special just for you. Yeah, it's not a normal, you know, not your normal everyday regular aerospace plastic. (laughs) No, it's special aerospace plastic. This ain't the bullshit that we send to the astronauts. This is the special (laughs) kind that we reserve only for boat-looking-ass, ugly 70s cars, okay? That look like uh, clogs with wheels. You know, folks, the word <laughs> special doesn't always denote good or value. It, sometimes it no. denotes uh, special, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> According to car dealer Frank Gavrich, 
The Dale seemed like the perfect answer to the gas crunch. Quoting Frank here, he goes, We all heard of the gas guzzlers coming from Detroit. And here's somebody who could put out an automobile that could get 60 miles to a gallon of gas and travel all over the city without a problem. It would have been the ideal automobile. The entrepreneur who unveiled the Dale was a remarkable and forceful woman named Liz Carmichael, who saw herself as a cross between Howard Hughes and Henry Ford, and a man. But more on that later. Uh, <laughs> a low-cost, high-mileage car was the right idea at the right time, and Carmichael racked up more than $3 million worth of advanced sales before a single car rolled tying, off the production line. Tying into that whole thing where you're, you're saying, you know, cross between a man type thing, the interviews with the people who were who worked with her, uh, I, I like how they were sinking. They were they were sinking. Uh, yeah, they they definitely did sink a lot of money into this that they didn't get back. But they were talking about how strong she was, <laughs> how forceful she was, how she carried herself, and you know, it, it was it was. It, they were like, she carried herself like a man. And it was like, yeah. She wanted to be a man. If only she they knew. She wanted to be a man. <laughs> yeah, if only they knew. Um, exactly. Dude looks like a lady. Uh, uh, uh. Got some uh, Mrs. Doubtfire stuff going on here for sure. And this is not a uh, transphobic thing at all. This is, uh, no. you'll find out. You'll find out later on. Don't, don't hit, don't, don't go for that one star review yet. Um, in 1973, Liz was a house uh, housewife living in Los Angeles with her five children. She claimed she had a degree in mechanical engineering and in 1974 formed 20th Century Motor Car Corporation to produce her three-wheeled pieces of shit, the Dale. Liz, <laughs> oh, sorry, I might have added that in there, editorialization there. Uh, Liz told investors in the press that her company was renting three huge aircraft hangars where they would soon start production. News of Carmichael and her car spread across the country. Soon she was being interviewed by Newsweek and People magazine. But back at Carmichael's headquarters in Encino, California, the authorities began to question her claims. The California Department of Corporations accused her of illegally selling both dealer franchises and cars that did not yet exist. Then the Department of Motor Vehicles discovered the company had no state permit to manufacture cars. Bill Hall, an investigator for the California Department of Motor Vehicles, questioned whether the lab was even developing a vehicle. He says, We went to research and development lab, and people appeared to be busy. But in wandering through the lab, I saw no evidence that they were designing a vehicle or in the process of making a vehicle. And this is a great re uh, recreation. Um, yes, it is. Of, on Unsolved Mysteries. He's going in there, and they got these guys and you know, the lab coats and the safety glasses and the hard hats, and, you know, they're looking at schematics, and, you know, I'm sure there's... I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure there was like beakers and Bunsen burners, and shit. <laughs> you know, just all the stereotypical, like, you know, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit kind of thing, you yeah. know, they're just kind of like all looking busy, but, mm. it, you know, it didn't appear as though a vehicle was actually being developed. So Bill Hall went to check out the uh, three hangars where Carmichael claimed the cars would be manufactured. And this is by far my favorite scene uh, in the whole uh, segment here, this, this recreation they did. He says, I went to this airport. Upon entering, I discovered the, the three hangars were absolutely empty. No tools, no machinery, nothing but a little dirt on the floor. They had rented this for only one month, and the rent had now expired. So they actually did not have a factory that they were representing that they had. 
And I don't know. I just, um, well, I said that's my favorite scene, but actually when he finds a prototype car is actually yeah, my favorite that, scene. Yeah, that, that's my favorite this scene. This is my second favorite segment. scene. But yeah, just seeing this guy in the recreation, they have him walking up to this big airplane hangar, and he opens up the door, and there's just nothing in there. And, you know, here's this lady who's selling this idea of this amazing car and, you know, blowing. She's charismatic and everyone has bought into her into her plan and and they are going with it with not much of a hitch. And then, bam, empty warehouses. There's something (laughs) that that I find so beautiful about somebody um, just hyping something and acting like you know everything's together and then just them completely being uh fake or there being some yeah. kind of nefarious it, it, thing. it's the uh al capone's vault effect yeah uh when uh Geraldo had that infamous uh tv special in the 80s which lasted for what like two hours or maybe even longer than that one night about Finding what's inside Al Capone's vault. And there was nothing. There was nothing in the vault. And that, like, fucked Geraldo's uh, career up a bit. Yeah, he, he spent so much time hyping up what could be in the vault, what was in the vault. Was it was it gold? Was it, was it uh, Jimmy Hoffa? And nothing. Yeah, and the speculation is, like, the worst part of all this kind of stuff. You know, it's like, it's basically like when you don't know and you got nothing, but the news is on at six and you need something. So you get yeah. all these talking heads on the screen juxtaposed to each other going, Oh, I don't know, Bill. Uh, if I had to if I had to guess, I would have to say that it would be, uh, you know, possibly some shrunken heads and some uh, gold bullion and some uh, maps to Atlantis. Uh, that's what I would say is in there. Well, Bill, I gotta say, I, I think what's, you know, it's like, shut the fuck, <laughs> none of you know anything. I hate, see, that's why I hate those 24-hour news networks, because yeah. it's like, a school shooting happened, this is who did it, and that's all the information we have. And now for the next 23 hours, and, uh, you know, 45 minutes, we're going to just speculate and say shit that's not, you know, factual, and it's just our opinion or things that we think happen, you know, were the motivation. And sometimes they say stuff that's factual as soon as they get it in, uh, so they can say it on on air. But yeah, there is a lot of speculating when they're not talking about celebrity gossip, yeah. because that's another thing that seems to be very prevalent in the news, and it's not real news. I don't give a shit about what's going on with Kim Kardashian or Kanye West or. Taylor Swift or any of this shit. That shit belongs on TMZ, not on actual news. So Liz Carmichael was uh, also a fake in her own right. And the authorities were closing in. Carmichael decided it was time to move her headquarters to Dallas. But two and a half weeks later, the district attorney filed criminal grand theft charges against Liz Carmichael. Back in California, Bill Hall went to the research and development lab with a search warrant. Now, This, this is my favorite scene. Um, He's quoted here as saying, on inspection of this vehicle, it was not a viable vehicle at all. It had no engine. Two by fours were holding up the rear wheel. The accelerator was just sitting on the floor. It wasn't even attached. The windows were not safety glass. They would bend back and forth. The doors were put together 
on regular door hinges like one might find on a house door. The vehicle just absolutely did not exist. And they showed pictures and stuff like that, but they also showed an actual recreation of this fake car. And uh, I got to give kudos to the production design team for putting that together because uh, or the art direction team because uh, they did a great job uh, is this one of those you're, you're just like wow like yeah this is just nothing like this is this is something that some guy could have just made in his garage or something yeah i mean you know i i it, they show the two by fours that are holding up the rear wheel and it, it's just literally like wow that that is that is exactly what that is it's uh yeah. pieces of wood that are holding her oh and you like <coughs> sorry folks cold here you really got to wonder like I, you know could you make a vehicle like out of that and how long would it last if you did you know like yeah would that be something that because of friction or something like over time this is like a push cart this is something you make like and go down a hill yeah exactly <laughs> then yeah and the accelerator was just this like you know metallic uh mold of an accelerator that was not even attached and like e- even for a display model it just looked like it was haphazardly put together as just a half-assed way to show people something if they arrive and are like i i want to see the prototype i want to see the uh vehicle that you're putting together oh okay well here it is like maybe like under the right lighting or with certain things around it or people working on it then it, it really wouldn't come across as fake as it is or as cheap as it is yeah now if when you're just looking at it by itself with without the facade without the facade of all these extra things that could try to fluff it up to something that it isn't it looks exactly like what it is it's just a half-assed uh prototype it's just like, yeah, that's something. Yeah. Now, if Bill Hall had come in there and he started insulting the vehicle and like a team of third graders wearing oversized lab coats walked out and was like, well, we, we thought we did a pretty good job on it. And they start crying. <laughs> then this guy, Bill, would be an asshole. But the fact <laughs> is, is that a 40 something, 30 something, however old she was, woman who is masquerading as a business professional uh, with a team of, uh, you know, scientists and all this shit manufacturing this vehicle for prime time with all the other vehicles. And she vehicles. took $3 million. Yeah. And she's someone who was interviewed by all these different publications and magazines talking about how her car, the Dale, is the car of the future. And there's not a lot of effort that was put into uh, actually making this car of the future a reality. So the Dallas police also searched Carmichael's home. Apparently, she and her five children had had moved out in a hurry. Liz Carmichael was gone. But nine weeks later, she was discovered living in Miami with her five children. A neighbor recognized her from a news photo and called the authorities. She was now. This is actually uh, something that happened after that. There was a particular moment in this segment. I don't. I don't know why they did not mention this. Um, where the police they found out where she was living. Uh, in Dallas, so they searched her home, but um, when they searched the, her home, that's when they found all of these items that just showed that Liz 
is not who she appears to be. And when I first saw this segment, I, I was like, whoa. Like, I thought, you know, yeah, Liz kind of looked masculine and a little bit manly. But, I mean, there are re actual women who look like that and aren't transgender or cross-dressers. So I didn't want to, like, assume anything. So when you get the bombshell drop that he was dressing, it's a he, uh, uh, Liz is, is a man dressing up as a woman, and these police are finding a girdle with like a fake bottom and the the wig and you know breast forms. It's like, whoa, <laughs> holy shit! Yeah, um, that's not the kind of thing that you normally see on Unsolved Mysteries either. Like cops break into uh, the house of some suspect that they're trying to find, and and you know I think wow. I, I think for all intents and purposes, um, she's a she's a man. For all intents and purposes, Liz did did want to live her life as a woman, yes. and Unsolved Mysteries yes. they they respected that, and you know yeah. always referred to her as her. You know they it, yeah. they did they didn't make a big spectacle about like it's really a man. It's just kind of like you know, and and that's kind of how my feelings are on it too. It's like yeah. so the, so what you know. It's like I to to well, me. Well, that's how I feel too. It's it's just it, it definitely is surprising. It was surprising. Like when, when you, when but you've never seen you haven't seen the segment before. Yeah. You don't know anything about the story. You watch it, and then it's like, whoa! Like there's that. It's like that twist that just comes right. out of nowhere. And well, I can like, tell you one thing too. Pretty shocking. I'm sure for the, the the early '90s when this when this originally aired, I'm sure it was late '80s. It was late late yeah. '80s. Okay, I'm sure for that time it was very shocking to a lot of people because I mean the tra the transgender community was was uh to say that they weren't accepted in in that time period would be a big fucking understatement not only yeah. were they not accepted they were seen as like freaks or people who uh -huh. were mentally ill or whatever and so i'm i'm uh, it's it's good to see that it's not like that anymore but but even in that hostile climate unsolved mysteries still handled this uh with um with very you know a d dignity they handled and, it with care yeah and care yeah exactly so but you know all that aside um a neighbor recognized her photo and called the police. Uh, she was working for a dating service and going by the name of Suzanne Rains. Um, it was at that point um, that uh, they learned that Liz had another identity. She was really a man named Jerry Dean Michael. I like how Robert Stack uh, delivered that line in the, in the segment. Um, he, he was he was kind of incredulously. Michael claimed he had begun hormone treatments in preparation for a sex change operation. It was later learned that Michael was wanted by the federal authorities for counterfeiting in 1961 and for jumping bail in 1962. Jerry Dean Michael, alias Geraldine Elizabeth Carmichael, was arrested on April 12, 1975. He was extradited to Los Angeles and put on trial for conspiracy, grand theft, and fraud. Robert Youngblood was a Los Angeles deputy district attorney at the time of the trial. Quote, Liz arrived in court every day in miniskirts. Now, here's somebody who's over 200 pounds and over six feet tall and has a demeanor of, I am a new Henry Ford. It was rather bizarre. Liz did not give one quarter in the course of the trial. There was never once when Liz gave up her position that people who supported her would vindicate her. Jerry, Michael, or Jerry Dean Michael was convicted of conspiracy, grand theft, and fraud. He was released on $50,000 bail. For the next four years... He appealed his conviction and lost each time. Finally, in 1980, Michael failed to show up in court 
uh, for sentencing and wasn't seen again for eight years. Now, before we get to now, the update, yeah, before we get to the update, I want to I want to mention how interesting it is that so many of the people who worked with her were so drawn to her, and 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 easily you could make an argument they were easily manipulated by her, which is something that a lot of sociopaths and people like that are able to do, but. Whether or not you think she's a sociopath or whether or not you think she is a honest businesswoman who just got in way over her head is up to personal opinion. It's a subjective thing, but I think it's I think it's closer to the middle with those two. I think maybe she did have an idea and really did want to get it going and really did want to make it a reality but then she realized that she wasn't going to be able to meet the deadlines and wasn't going to be able to uh deliver it on time there was more work involved than she had initially planned or thought about and she got in in she got in over her head and was like i just gotta get out of here and that's kind of how i look at it um but he does she i mean she she does have a history of counterfeiting and stuff like that so maybe it was just a scam from the beginning that's another possible i also liked the courtroom scene where the uh they were questioning her and and he's he's like why did you take all these people's money and tell them that this car could get 60 miles per gallon or whatever and she was like because it can, sir. And if I wasn't yeah. in this courtroom right now, sir, we would be rolling cars out, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like she she was just like uh, I thought the actor who played uh uh Liz, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um and I also felt the the whole segment was directed really well and had some good editing and some nice cinematography. The shot when they, they reveal uh, that Liz is uh, Jerry Dean Michael. I thought that was uh, not only was Stack's narration great, but I liked the shot of her looking in the mirror and then taking the wig off. Yeah, that's kind of it's very cinematic. That's kind of a classic scene for any time there's going to be any kind of like cross dressing or anything. There's always yeah. got to be a scene where they look in the mirror and put the wig on or take it off. Yeah, but it's effective. Yeah, it's, a, it's an effective reveal. It's more effective of a reveal than anything else. Oh, I'm not questioning if it's effective or not. <laughs> so there's an update on this within just minutes of our broadcast their broadcast not our broadcast we received a tip from a viewer who recognized jerry dean michael as a flower vendor named Catherine elizabeth johnson still holding on to that elizabeth name <clears throat> michael had chosen to live in the small community of dale texas <laughs> oddly enough and yeah. and was arrested at his home so which gender are they going with here because they keep switching in between Eight years after he jumped bail, Michael was returned to California. There, he was sentenced to 32 months on several counts of arising uh, from his auto scam. Uh, he was sent to an all-male facility. After serving just over two years, Jerry Dean Michael was discharged with three years of Interesting patrol. Interesting he was sent to an all-male facility. A prototype oh. of the Dale is in the permanent collection of the Peterson Automobile Museum in L.A. Now, also, that's something I would like she to see. She has passed away. She passed away of cancer in 2004. Damn. And what's our rule on this show, Mike? Everyone who's on Unsolved Mysteries is dead now. Everybody dies. Except Henry Rollins. <laughs> um, 
I also have to admit the picture that they, the footage that they show of, of Liz getting arrested, not, not very flattering. Not a at all. Not a babe. No. <laughs> no. There's a lot of conviction <laughs> in that. No. But you know, I, I hope she was happy though. Now, I, you you said this in passing uh, just a moment ago, but uh, I do I I, I do want to like um, postulate on it, or, or it is you did bring up an interesting point. If you are transgender, what 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 jail do you get sent to? Yeah. I I I think I think recently things have changed cuz that show Orange is a New Black there's transgender but they might have been No, yeah, I think I think it's actually a trans uh criminal who's in in jail with the other, with other women. Um but I'm not entirely 100% sure. It might depend on the state and their laws certain states might have different laws for that kind of thing yeah i'm actually bringing up an article on it now the rules governing how transgender prisoners are treated and whether they are sent to male or female prisons are to be reviewed the ministry of justice has announced wait is this our country hmm. we do we have a ministry of justice no we do not this is the no, guardian we don't okay so this is <laughs> this is the uk <clears throat> It's saying sorry for I'm I really apologize for all the mouth noises. I don't know how much way you can off hear the not. mark there, Josh. <laughs> well, I wasn't talking about that. I'm talking about my sickness. No. Yeah, I know. I was talking about the UK. Okay. The yeah, <laughs> this is why you shouldn't just click on the first Google article that comes up. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Anyway, I I don't know. Um, there's some horrific things that I'm seeing now. If you Google that, so if you. <laughs> You want to lose a little bit more of faith in humanity? Google what prison you get sent to if you're transgender, because there's some uh, uh -huh. some pretty terrifying news stories on here. Just just don't just don't try don't do anything that'll get you sent to prison. Yeah, whether you're transgender or not. I mean, I gotta I gotta imagine for me um, being a, a straight male. Um, Obviously, if I was sent to a female prison for if there was some fluke in the, <laughs> there's no way that's gonna. I happen. know, but if there was some fluke in the penile system, then <laughs> the penile my system. penile system might be a little bit more satisfied <laughs> with that. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, like that. You mean the penal system? All, all the, yeah. Although I, I would imagine not every uh, woman in jail is the best, you know, looking thing in the world. Probably kick your ass. Probably so. I, I am a <laughs> soft, doughy little Nancy boy. As they You'd might be say. their bitch. <laughs> you know what? I might be into that. This podcast has just gone <laughs> off the fucking rails. I apologize. Um, you feel leave a one star review. Compliments of me. OK, there, <laughs> there we go. We'll call it even by that. Is that OK? So anyway, that's uh, that's that case. Uh, great, great reenactment. Um, yeah, probably uh, one of my favorite fraud segments up there with the log cabin fraud. Yeah, for me. Sure. Uh, yeah, for me as well. Blah. I'm, 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 I guess what you're doing is is contagious, apparently. Um, <laughs> what stupidity? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think it is. <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on uh, Liz and whether or not she meant well and just got in over her head, or she just had this whole plan to scam a bunch of people for money? Well, it's kind of hard to say, you know, it's like L. Ron Hubbard with Scientology. It's like, yeah, he, he was able to, you know, get a lot of money out of people, but he never really took the money and ran. He uh, he 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 was, you know, 
constantly on his e-meter trying to find body thetans and all this other kind of crap and you mm-hmm. know even up until his old senile age he was still going going along with something that a lot of people were calling a fraud and a big you know way to rip money off of people and it's kind of the same thing here it's like yeah the car the the proto i mean was it supposed to be a, a the actual working model or was it supposed to be a prototype i mean either way it was a piece of shit they were supposed to have something yeah and, and something more than that so but then at the same time it's like had she not been detained and put on trial and all this other kind of stuff i mean she never really took the money and ran and 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 even though that that thing that they found in the in the hangar or the development lab or whatever was just this piece of crap with you know two by fours and uh, door hinges for, on the doors and all that it's like if you're trying to defraud people you don't really go through that much effort you're just going to take the money and and there'll be nothing there 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 won't even be that thing so the fact that they had that and the people in the segment to that very day believed in her and the Dale and what they were doing. And some were saying if they started it up today, they would go right along with her. I, I think that there was some legitimacy to it. I, I really do. I think that they, I think she was just a really bad. Um, uh, she was good in some areas of business, but in the execution, it actually like making something that was, that could compete in the real world. Um, I think she was really just short-sighted in that sense. What about you? Yeah, I, 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 de- I definitely feel the same way. Like I said, I think the answer uh, is in the middle. I think it's like, this is what things, uh, this is how things were. It was one of those, probably had the right idea in mind, but things got out of hand, wasn't really able to meet the demand, and that's what happened because if she really was just into just scamming everybody she would have just left with the money like ron rushed in or some of these other fraud uh cases some of these other fraudsters that have been talked about and uh, featured on unsolved mysteries like the uh fortune teller scam people like that or gary magno and his psychic surgery. God, I love the fraud segment so much. Such great, such, so such classics, you know, all, all of them. All right, moving on. Our next segment, one revived from episode number two of our original. Dug up. Yeah, dug up, if you will, because, yeah, it was a turd, quali- like, recording quality-wise. Um, and we will be talking about the case of Roswell. Oh, my God, yes. do I love UFOs. And, oh, my God, do I love blowing the skeptic whistle at people who do not believe in them. But at the same time, I myself am a um, fairly objective person. I have yeah. called bullshit on many UFO stories in the past that we've covered on this podcast. But this, the granddaddy of all UFO cases, I totally believe happened 100%. I, I believe happened too. I don't know about the alien bodies being found. Like That's one I'm kind of iffy on. But I definitely do believe that something crashed uh, in Roswell, uh, New Mexico in 1947. And I definitely do not think it was a weather balloon. I really don't. No, not at all. So, in 1947, a mysterious craft was found near Roswell, New Mexico. The government said it was a weather balloon, but eyewitnesses believed it was a UFO. The story began in July of 1947, when a violent electrical storm swept over the desolate plains of south-central New Mexico. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say this about this segment. This is easily one of the uh, best UFO segments in terms of its budget. Like you can tell, like there was a there was a good amount of money that was behind this segment. Um, and I I really like the atmosphere and the mood of it, especially in the beginning where they show the electrical storm uh, that happens uh, in uh, at night at a uh, Mac Razzle's. Uh, remote ranch house yeah there was definitely a big budget for this but there are some little things that i want to point out practical effects wise that i thought were funny when we get to them yeah 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 i agree i agree wholeheartedly but like in terms of the you know there are other segments later on in the series that really weren't nearly as uh good in terms of their production value as this uh, segment was because this was still when it was airing on broadwork uh on uh, network television instead of and on a major uh, network instead of Lifetime or and still when it had a bigger budget. Yeah, because I think later on the budget was slashed. I mean, you go from a segment like this with like a huge UFO prop and, you know, the debris yeah. and all that. And then you go to later episodes of UFOs and Unsolved Mysteries and they just throw up a CGI light in the sky and people looking up dumbfounded going, wow. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's like night and day. The production differences there. Absolutely. So, at his remote ranch house, Mac Brazel patiently waited out the lightning and thunder when he heard a strange thunderclap. Kevin D. Randall has written extensively on the Roswell UFO, and he's quoted here. The story is that Mac Brazel supposedly heard a loud crash at some point during the storm and didn't know if it was related to the storm or not. According to his son, Mac was on the range the next day looking to see which fields may have gotten precipitation the night before. And in his process of looking to see where the rain had come down, he found the debris field spread spread out near his ranch house. Something had crashed in one of Mac's fields the night before. According to Kevin Randall, the object was broken up beyond identification. The debris field was approximately three quarters of a mile long, maybe as much as two or three hundred feet in width. Scattered along, there were bits and pieces of material we refused to call metal, because from the descriptions we have, it was more of a plastic-like material. Very strong, very lightweight. Pieces of it were described as being three or four feet long, but as light as a feather, and as thin as newspaper. There were metal beams that were slightly flexible, flexible, but also very strong. Some of the metal pieces appeared to have strange qualities and unusual tensile properties. The pieces could not be cut or burned. And I thought the reenactment did a really good job showing these pieces and how like they they you crunch it up like tin foil and then it would just return back to its normal shape. This is yeah, this is the section where I want to mention for the 90s, you know, the the early 90s, late 80s. This was probably, yeah. you know, this this pie looked really good on TV. But but looking at it now coming from a kind of production standpoint like where i yeah where i produce my own videos i've done some special effects and stuff at this point uh they really employed that reverse uh effect on the film to achieve a lot of these um so there's one scene where the guy balls up this foil like piece of debris that's found on the ground and then uh -huh. he un you know undoes his hand and the metal goes right back to this perfect you know, smooth piece of uh, metal or metallic substance. Now, mm -hmm. clearly all they did was they had the guy crush up a piece of like tinfoil or something and they just ran the film in reverse. So his hand looked like it was unclasping 
and the thing went right back to being smooth. And then they did that effect again with this bigger piece of metal that they hit with a sledgehammer. And uh, it, it's almost like they stopped the film or the video short, like right as he hit it. And then they did it in reverse. So it uh-huh. so it looks like it's like one swing, you know, swing hit. And then it re- the sledgehammer recoils back. But really all it was was a swing, slight tap of the metal. And then they run the film in reverse to make it yeah. go back, to make it look like it's recoiling back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were clever little tricks, but when you look back now, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a little cheesy, but, you know, practical effect. I mean, that's, that's it for me. It's practical. It's done practically. It's clever. They found a workaround. They found a way to be able to show that happen. And it was probably the most plausible and realistic way they could show that kind of effect Absolutely. in the late 80s. Yeah, there was no other way that I can think of that they really could have achieved those effects without doing it that way for it to look any kind of realistic at that time. So the following Monday, Brazel reported his discovery to the sheriff, who informed the nearby Roswell Army base. That afternoon, Mac Brazel led two Army intelligence officers to the crash site. One of the officers was Major Jesse Marcel Sr., whose primary duty was to investigate air accidents. Even with his experience, Marcel was unable to identify the craft. Marcel died in 1982, but before his death, he was interviewed about what he saw that day. It was just fragments strewn all over the area, an area of about three quarters of a mile long and several hundred feet wide. So we proceeded to pick up the parts. I tried to bend that stuff, and it would not bend. I even tried to burn that, and it would not burn. See, that stuff weighs nothing. It's not any thicker than tinfoil. We even tried making a dent in it with a 16-pound sledgehammer. I was certain it was not a weather balloon, nor an aircraft, nor a missile. It was something else which we didn't know what it was. Later on the night of July 7th, Major Marcel loaded his car with the unusual debris and drove back to Roswell. But, 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 I want my baby back, baby back ribs. But before going to the base, he stopped by his home. He wanted to show his family what he had found. Jesse Marcel Jr. was 11 at the time and remembered the strange material his father brought home. When he came back to the house, he had a bunch of wreckage with him, and he brought the wreckage into the house. Actually, it wakened my mother and myself out so we could view this because it's so unusual. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. He spread it out so he could get some basic idea of what it looked like, what it was. We were all amazed by this debris that was there probably because we didn't know what it was. You know, just the unknown. Yeah, and this guy, um, Jesse Marcel Jr., he's become like kind of like this uh, like celebrity in the UFO world. Mm-hmm. He's always going, he's being invited to conventions and all that. I mean, he, yeah. you know, being one of the only people alive still to have handled that wreckage directly. I mean, it, it is kind of a, yeah. a big deal. That would be cool. I mean, that's the kind of UFO-related thing that I honestly... It would have been nice to to see or to feel or to touch and things like... It's, you know, the, the abducting, I don't know. No alien abductions. No surprise anal probes. No thank you. Um, I don't need to deal with the nightmares. Oh, no, see, <laughs> that, would, that would be my favorite part. <laughs> um, but... Uh, 
I don't know. Just ab- finding a crash, yeah. you know, a, a debris, that would be cool. I don't know about, like, how good of an idea it would be to just, like, start handling shit you think might be from outer space. Yeah, but, like, make sure you, like, wear gloves and stuff like that. Well, even, like, you know, even, like, radiation and all that, like, that's all factors. I mean, apparently nothing happened to them, but, I mean, you know... You handle something with radiation in it, and then you get cancer and die. Well, I mean, you know? I mean, look at what happened to uh, Betty Cash, and and then the other uh, the guy in Canada, I think Canada, right? The guy who had the grill marks on his chest. Oh yeah, uh, Vla- was it Velasic or Vla- Velatic? V- Vlasic, <laughs> the pickle. <company>? Whatever, <laughs> it's close enough. <laughs> the old fart, the Falcon Lake UFO segment. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But part of me, yeah, it would be nice to encounter, encounter uh, and experience the unknown in, in some aspect, you know, in something like, you know, for something like that, instead of like an alien, you know, shows up and implants some shit in you or whatever and, you know, fucks with you. That's not really, I'd rather not deal with that <laughs> or have some uh, annoying ghost haunt me that is just continuously just referencing uh, songs from 2007. Are you referring to that meme that was posted on our group? Yeah, a, a, that was a great. reference that literally nobody's going to get <laughs> unless you. Exp- I, I know, I know, but I, I just thought it, I thought it was really clever because like every he the the meme that was mentioned was they always talk about ghosts and and, and hauntings from like the 17 you know ghosts from the 1700s like what if it's like some obnoxious ghost from 2007 who's just constantly yelling it's britney bitch over and over again it's britney bitch yeah that would, that would be uh pretty funny <laughs> or, or, or just uh singing limp biscuit songs or something or or some of your favorite a uh, uh, country go uh, country singing ghost i got friends shut the fuck up God. <laughs> yeah so uh the most remarkable that would be worse for you the most remarkable fragment was a uh, short piece of i-beam which was covered with strange mm-hmm. symbols and markings jesse marshall jr was convinced the object was from another planet he says uh this writing could be described as egyptian hieroglyphics but not really the symbols that were in the i-beams were more of a geometric type configuration in various designs it had a violet purple type color and was actually an embossed part of the metal itself Years after this incident happened, we would talk privately amongst ourselves about what the possibilities of well, what this thing was. And I feel that we, well, I know we came to the conclusion that it was not of earthly origin. And I thought the prop department for this segment, they again, oh, yeah. did a really good job of making this eye beam with this ultraviolet. They did an admirable job, yeah, for sure. This embossed uh, hieroglyphic looking geometric shapes. It looked really good. Yeah, and I also like how they made it ultraviolet like you said ultraviolet like how they made it this of the reflective surface and how they made it shine in a very unearthly uh way so major marcel took the wreckage to the roswell base where he was stationed that same morning colonel william blanchard the commanding officer in roswell made a crucial decision he went to public he went public with the story of mac brazel's discovery second lieutenant walter hout was the public information officer for the Roswell base at the time. Colonel Blanchard ordered him to issue a press release telling the country that the Army had found the wreckage of a flying saucer. Second Lieutenant Houts never questioned his commanding officer's orders. In 1947, when a colonel colonel told a first lieutenant to do something, the first lieutenant did that. 
there's a little bit of difference. You didn't have any democracy back in 1947 in the military establishment. The press release was immediately picked up by newspapers across the country. The story created an uproar. Then, surprisingly, that same day, Barney Barnett of Socorro, New Mexico, discovered the wreckage of a similar UFO-like object. Vern, Vern Maltias was a friend of Barney's at the time of his discovery. Now, did, wasn't there another UFO segment that happened in Socorro, New Mexico? Yes, a Socorro close encounter with uh, Lonnie Zamora, the police uh, officer. Interesting. Yep. So Barney was just a real straightforward, just what you would call a real straight guy. Okay, it's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> yeah, this is the oh, this is the friend of Barney being interviewed now, and uh, yeah, he's he 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 was old as dirt even in this segment. You know that that's <laughs> like thirty years old at this point. He looked like he was like ninety years old. So he wouldn't tell you one story out of color or nothing. That's why I was really surprised when he related this information to me about a crashed saucer. He told me that he had come on the spaceship. It was during the daytime. It was an oval shape, and it had crashed and it had broken open. There was beings laying about, four beings laying on the ground, not in the spaceship. They were scattered not too far from the object. He did describe that their heads were larger than the bodies by proportion. And they had some kind kind of clothing on that looked like a little bit different. Not exactly like our spacesuits or that sort of thing, but the four were laying on the ground. I would say this is, an, uh, this is a mo moment where the budget definitely does show in a good way as well with the... Uh, practical effects of, of the beings that uh, were scattered around. Um, you saw more of them, though, in a different segment, which we might revisit because, I mean, we kind of did mention it when we were talking about Roswell, but, you know, this would make this segment like this episode like ridiculously long so <laughs> uh, I, I gotta i gotta disagree with you on that one I, I thought the alien bodies looked like garbage um yeah I, I thought they i thought they looked really bad um they they literally looked like uh some kind of thing you'd win at the fair or something i'll tell you what it looked like it looked like the heads were like carved out of like a styrofoam and painted with like some kind of hobby glue like a Maybe I was thinking about what they look like in the Area 51 segment cuz that was that was better. Yeah. Um yeah, for this one like they're scattered about the craft and they they look like just dolls that were made from yeah. styrofoam and badly painted. But the ship, <laughs> the ship that was crashed into the ravine or the ditch or whatever, like that that looked really good. Like it, Yeah, that that was great. But um as my voice cracked. Mike, are you having my... are you finally hitting puberty, bro? <laughs> <laughs> You're finally gonna, finally gonna hit that growth spurt. Uh, How tall are you, by the way? Uh, like five eleven, five eleven and a half. Okay, kind of we're thing. we're we're like pretty much the exact same height. Yep. So yeah, I thought the spaceship looked uh, fantastic. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, the bodies looked you know could have been better, but at least they weren't inflatable. Uh, aliens like in communion with uh Christopher Walken was is that was that really was that really a thing that happened they used infl yeah, inflatable yeah they they looked inflatable that I think there were ones that were literally just inflatable aliens oh my god yeah <laughs> they must have <laughs> kind of ruins the it ruins the suspense and the ruins like the their attempts to try to make it scary it's just yeah just a little bit just a, just a little bit, I would think. 
Looks like a pool toy. <laughs> they spent all their money on Christopher Walken, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, Barney told Vern uh, that he reached the crash site at about the same time as a group of archaeology students who had seen the wreckage from their nearby dig. The military also discovered the second crash site after an aerial search, but arrived too late to secure the area. Barney Barnett and the students had a clear and detailed look at the craft and its occupants, but according to Vern Maltese, their story was hidden from the public. When the army showed up, they immediately escorted these people from the scene, and then at that time, they gave them a warning not to relay any information. From that time on, Barney never mentioned it to anybody until the time that he told me about the thing. Now, I know some people could be like, oh, he's just making shit up and whatever and so on, and that could be the case, but in this day and age, it was very common for uh, something to happen where somebody would encounter like the military and they just like, okay, we're going to do what you ask. No questions asked. Yeah. Anytime anybody is, uh, anytime they get an interviewer or uh, interviewee, I sh should say on any of these shows and the person sw and literally all they have is a story, you know, and the person yeah. swears, you know, Oh, this person, you know, uh, my friend who you know it's a secondhand story too it's not even like a, a primary yeah source. the secondhand stories automatically get my radar up and i'm like yeah i don't know yeah and all they have to go I on really all they know. have to go on is i swear he told the truth all the time it's like yeah no that doesn't do anything for me anymore yeah because yeah. i've just seen too many times where people will outright fucking lie on these shows ghost boy right well that's one example <laughs> of many you know people will just <laughs> The, the, they will just be, you know, I mean, again, I, I hate to keep bringing up Scientology here, but, uh, oh, this is something you might find interesting, actually, Mike. Uh, Marty Rath, yeah. Marty Rathbun has recently, like, gotten back to science, Scientology. Huh. Yeah, like, he's defected. And now, like, he's released a bunch of videos basically doubling back on everything he said and going clear. And he's like, that is, that is nuts. Yeah. Like he's basically like, oh, it wasn't, you know, it didn't happen that way. And oh, it wasn't as bad, you know, Leah Remini's just trying to, you know, they, they must have really, really pressured him or he just maybe maybe they offered him a ton of money. Yeah. So for me, like the only reason I bring that up is to basically say that like, I it just, I just, when people go on camera and say stuff, they can just be lying you know, straight up. So these little, yeah, it could be like, uh, the Gulf breeze UFO, right? Perfect example. Like I was just making the whole thing up and, and, you know, it was just some people, they just like, li like they live their lives for causing sensationalism and, and, and they like the publicity, yeah. their publicity hounds. Yeah. So I, you know, when, when this, they have this interview from this guy and, you know, he knew the guy who saw the, the downed craft. Yeah. It's kind of like, that's not substantial enough. And the fact that they haven't been able to found, find that excavation team from that college or whatever, um, they've yeah. never been able to locate anyone from that excavation team that happened to show up at that same time. It's kind of like, it, it, it gives it even less credence in my mind. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't really... Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily buy into that story either, but it makes for a nice reenactment. Yeah, for sure. And I liked the, I so, liked the actor who they chose to play the uh, the uh, lieutenant or the captain who yeah. tell you know who, he's like gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, or whatever. Like you are not to like I, I don't know. I just felt like he was a good <laughs> good choice. Yeah, you see, you see. Yeah. 
All efforts to track down the members of the archaeology dig have been unsuccessful. While the Bar- Barnett story has only been told secondhand, many believe there is too much supporting evidence to completely dismiss it. On July 8, 1947, newspapers across America published accounts that a UFO had supposedly crashed into Mexico. That same day, a cargo plane carrying the debris from the crash site arrived at an airbase in Forth- Fort Worth. Fort Worth? Okay, they just fucked up. Unsolved.com? yourself fucking spell oh, yeah, check. Yeah, they got, they got a little typo there. Shame on... Not my fault this time. Yeah, shame on them, not us, you know, for not, you know, doing our own research. Shame on them. A cargo plane carrying the debris from the crash site arrived at the, an airbase in Fort Worth, Texas. Brigadier General Roger Ramey was a high-ranking Army air official at Fort Worth. Within hours, Ramey's office issued a new press release stating that the, new, that the material recovered in New Mexico was not a UFO but was the wreckage of a U.S. Army weather balloon. And I called bullshit on that. It's a skeptic whistle, folks. According to his son Jesse, Mac Brazel was immediately skeptical. My dad said obviously it was a cover-up story. It was not a weather balloon. He was a little disturbed about that, but he had his own security classification to protect. He could not really go public with, hey, this is not a weather balloon. So he had to keep that to himself. But the UFO incident was still very much alive for Mac Brazel. At the time, a rumor surfaced that Mac was briefly detained at the at the Roswell base until after the new press release had been circulated and accepted by the public. When Mac returned to his ranch, all traces of the Roswell incident had apparently been removed from the area. In spite of circumstantial evidence, there was no real proof to dispute the Army's statement that the wreckage was a weather balloon. Then, more than 30 years later... UFO researchers obtained a document containing what they believed was new evidence. Known as the MJ-12 Memo, this top-secret document was mailed anonymously to a UFO researcher in 1984. Now, that that's can be a good thing and a bad thing, because it's kind of hard to corroborate that, and it could have just been some diehard Roswell fan who just typed up some fake document and then sent it in it brings to mind uh, some Diane Lebanick guardian shit. But then at the same time, yeah. like, this was so, <clears throat> I don't know. This was, like, this was kind of early on, so it's, like, I feel like in the 90s was, like, the peak of, like, not only UFO sightings, but also UFO fraud and pranks and all no, that. They were starting to do that more in the 80s after, um, <clears throat> and even in the 70s after the release of uh, Ghost Encounters of the Third Kind. So the contents of the report stunned researchers. It claimed that four small beings had been recovered from the crash site in Roswell. All four were dead. The report also stated that the news media was issued a cover story claiming the object had been a misguided weather balloon. The government has consistently refused to comment on the MJ-12 memo, and there is still no proof of its origin. But if this document and the other accounts from 1947 are true, then the question remains. Does the government have evidence of alien life? Many years have passed since that hot summer night when a violent thunderstorm swept over the Brazel Ranch. The military declared that the rains found in the remote field came from a downed weather balloon, but the people who actually saw and held the wreckage disagree. Perhaps it was an experimental aircraft that the military wanted to keep top secret, but perhaps, just perhaps, it was something. Now else. that was a Robert Stack line. If you couldn't tell, they loved giving him. They yeah. loved giving him perhaps lines. Uh, perhaps it's because he just says it he just delivers that line so well you know perhaps just perhaps it was something else so that is the story of roswell uh the infamous 
crash uh, in Roswell, New Mexico. I I do believe that something crashed there. Um, I personally do feel it was of extraterrestrial origin um, because I don't really buy the weather balloon story. Um, and it just seems like there's a lot of people who actually were there and touched and actually saw the debris. So, um, that, and this is in 1947 and this is way before anything like the fifties B movies with all the UFOs and flying saucers and the flying saucer craze. There really wasn't a lot of big popular sort of, uh, stuff in pop culture at the time about UFOs. I mean, there, there's like, like war of the worlds was an old book that H G HG Wells wrote. But other than that, and maybe a few comic books of a few other pulp stories, like it wasn't like this is like so widely prevalent in society at the time. Um, so I kind of find it hard to believe that all of these people just made this up and were just like, yeah, it was a weather balloon, but no, it wasn't. It was this, uh, it was the debris, it was the debris of a UFO and it, and it had a different color to it and different tensile strength and all and so on. Yeah, I think the fact that just like I think the fact that the story just won't go away and that yeah, you know, nobody has been able to definitively kind of shut it down. Exactly. Why would the government just come out right out of nowhere like immediately after the papers caught on to the Roswell crash like just a few days later we're like put out this new paper that says it's just a weather balloon. I mean, it just it screams cover up to me. Like 100% and uh but i can see why the military did that if this actually did happen in 1947 um i don't think the american public or any or the public in general across the world was really ready for uh the the realization that we are not alone in this universe I, I really don't think we were ready. Well, yeah, for there was a quote from uh, one of the guys in the segment, and I, I'm, I'm forgetting his name now. I wish I had taken it down, but he's 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 a big UFO. Was it Stanton Friedman? I believe so. He's a big UFO researcher, and he said something to the extent of, uh, for that time, you know, with what was going on with the, you know, it was just after World War II, it would have been irresponsible yeah. for the U.S. government to be like, oh, by the way. Here's uh, this uh, spacecraft. We don't know how it got here. We don't know what they want, and we can't stop it. But we just thought you you'd like to know that information. Yeah, you know. So and and to to this day, that's still the same reason why the government doesn't tell us all they know, because it would be, it would probably cause some kind of panic or hysteria amongst. A lot of people that you know, gun sales are already crazy in the U.S., but they would well, only yeah, go it up. Would, it, it could you could say it would have been crazy back then, but you could make an argument it could be even crazier now. Even though that there are more people who would be able to handle it, like you and I would be like, cool. Yeah, let me see. <laughs> you tell me all you know, man. I want to know. But but other people would would be absolutely terrified. Uh, they they'd become even more defensive and. Um, well, there's a big... And then some people would be like, you know, maybe the people who are, you know, in deeply devout into religion, right. that they're completely just shattered. That's what, I was, that's what I was about to get into, world. because there's this big, growing up especially, there was this big kind of um, 
kind of interference with UFOs and aliens and the idea of, of those things being able to exist and religion, you know, like the two things just mm-hmm. did not go together. They did not mesh because the Bible never says anything about UFOs or other planets or anything well, like there's that. A, there's a lost book in the Bible that does mention things like fallen angels. So there's like a theory that some people have that maybe the aliens or fallen angels or something but that's like just a very that's a fringe theory that you don't hear much of i don't buy i don't buy um, that at all but i i you know so that's that there's a big part but see the vatican came out recently saying that um it's it it wouldn't be um against the bible or against you know like basically they're saying there is room for there to be life on other planets and still be congruent with the beliefs of the Catholic Church. Maybe the Vatican knows everything. Well, that maybe that's, they, maybe they have an alien. That's what got pe- <laughs> people were kind of like, why, why, you know, why are they saying, you know, why did they pick this time to say that? Why are they even saying it at all? They have an alien in, in the uh, uh, captured in in the the archive. <laughs> did um, like Paul? Did you did you have anything else on this? No, really, I just wanted to mention that because I think that's an interesting point to to make is that there was if the, if it is a cover up, there is a legitimate reason for the cover up, and it's not just oh oh nobody can know you know type thing. It's one of those things where they weren't ready for that, and it probably would have done more harm har- would have done more harm than it would have done any good. Um, but yeah, it's also kind of sad that we're in the same boat now uh, that we were in in 1947 with that kind of thing. Yeah, and um, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Like, uh, as far as public knowledge is, is concerned, we're, we are kept just as in the dark now by our government as we were, you know, what, 50, 60 years ago at this point? Yeah. Yeah, so it's just kind of like, I don't know. I... I, I I, I, I don't want to, like, go too tinfoil hat on anybody, but, like, I, I really do feel like a lot of our technology ha- has been gleaned from alien technology. and I, I think that's a possibility. I've always, I've always thought that that could be a possibility. I don't know for sure because I don't have anything to really put my finger on, anything that I can really go, yeah, for sure. You know, I don't really have any proof, but I, I, I've always felt that way when I looked at the history and looked how things evolved, uh, technological uh, advances, how things evolved in terms of our technology. And I look at that and then I see how fast it happens compared to other uh, civilizations and other eras. And it's just one of those things that is kind of, it does make you scratch your head. It does make you think like, why did, why are we different? Why are we different in terms of how fast we evolved uh, technologically versus uh, our previous generations. Yeah, and I mean, the whole point of me even bringing up the technology thing is that obviously the government has gained positive benefits uh, from, from you know, if that is the case, if the government has gleaned the alien technology, mm-hmm. you know, if they've gained these positive benefits from, you know, dealing with this extraterrestrial life, then then why is that a bad thing, you know? I mean, it's... it's 
from from where I'm standing, all the the ills of the earth have been caused by human beings that we've done to each other. You know, I mean, it, the, the UFOs, you know, are, aren't causing the earthquakes and shit unless they are. Um, but that's a different <laughs> it's a different uh, theory right aliens. there. Yeah, aliens. Aliens. <laughs> we need to get Giorgio Sokolos on this show. <laughs> Josh, the alien life forms are real. <laughs> God, that show was so... Uh, man, that was... I, so I did a video on my YouTube channel about the show Ancient Aliens, and I basically... Yeah. I basically, I felt like it, I, t- I titled it Ancient Aliens, a show that was almost good, because it was almost <laughs> good. But then they get into this crazy bullshit. They get into these crazy theories where the tinfoil hat level goes up to 11. And they got the crazy aliens guy on there with the crazy hair. <laughs> and they just, they just. I wonder what he would say about Roswell. Oh, I'm. That's in, in the Bible of ancient aliens. That is an absolute undeniable truth that cannot be questioned. I mean, that is, that is like, <laughs> of course that happened, you know, like, and, and I believe it happened too, but Jesus, they're just like. So if you'd like to see that video, go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash dancingwithghosts. If you'd like to follow Mike on YouTube, it's youtube.com slash communications. And he does movies. Uh, he reviews movies. He doesn't do movies. He actually does do movies, but they're adult, and they can only be found uh, through a paywall on uh, xxlbigdaddy.com. Uh, no, no. <laughs> And uh, what what was the last movie that you re- you reviewed, Mike? I I've been uh, behind because I've been uh, getting my ass kicked by my schedule for college. So um, I'm 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 mulling things right now. Like the last review I did was of Winchester, and then the last video I did was a podcast about movie news and stuff that I did with a good friend of mine uh, named Matt, and. Uh, I'm going back and forth in my mind between should I do the Blade Runner 2049 review that I've been planning on doing for a couple weeks now, or should I do record and post a review of Black Panther, which is a new big movie that I saw on Thursday night. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I got a. I'm 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 leaning towards Black Panther because it's it's a new. That's that that'll get you the that'll get you the views. views. You you got to strike while the iron's hot with them movie reviews. Same with game <laughs> reviews too, but uh. Well, sometimes it doesn't matter. Like Winchester, I posted like that like a few days after it was released, and barely, no, barely nobody's watched. Yeah, that well, that's because so. no one's fucking heard of Winchester. It's not a popular <laughs> franchise. Um, my video that I'm working on that should hopefully be out in the next few days is the top ten um, Weird Al original songs, not parodies, because a lot of people don't know this, but he actually has original songs that is "You Don't Love Me Anymore." On there? It it surely is. It is on there. Um, nice. So songs that are not that's parodies. my personal favorite original song that he did. I'm not going to tell you my number one favorite because you're going to have to watch the video for that. But that's coming out soon. You can support us on Patreon. Those there's uh, extra benefits, uh, bonus segments. You get the podcast early. That's the main benefit. And we we got some ideas that we're uh, throwing back and forth with each other about how to improve the Patreon. Um, maybe talk about and set because it's kind of hard for us to find like bonus segments that are like worth talking about because then we just get like the mediocre like and eh, and then it's not really that i don't really think it's that entertaining because we're just talking about segments that really there isn't a lot to, to discuss in the first place so 
So the passion isn't entirely there, except for instances like, for example, the 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 hill, the whatever, the Christian one, where people looking at the sun and then like, oh, oh was that a was that a bonus and... segment we did? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I thought we did that one on the main. Yeah, podcast. so 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 there are there are rare cases like that, but then there's other ones where it's like, eh. So I was thinking uh, of doing something where maybe we talk about cases and stuff like that that are well known, but like aren't featured on Unsolved Mysteries, like Atlantis, uh, Jack the Ripper, you know, stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, could be interesting. Or we could just do like a side bullshit podcast where we just, yeah. the, ch- the chit chat cast, which is a, the chit chat Patreon cast. exclusive. And I know there's some people who've actually asked, uh, someone, uh, one of our, uh, longtime listeners was like, hey, should just do an all chit chat podcast. Oh, we'd piss off so many people. <laughs> God. Um, could do, so we're not gonna do that anytime soon. An, it could be an April Fool's Day. Joke, oh, man. that would be a, that would be a good April Fool's thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and you can join our Facebook group by going to Facebook and searching "Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries." I'm sure you'll find the group. You're smart enough to figure out how to do that. Um, we have some great stuff in there. It's a very lively, lively discussions always going on in there. And uh, there's some other stuff that are that some other content that's in there that uh, I can't tell you about, but uh, let's just say if you're a fan of uh, the podcast and the show, you're, you're, it's, it's pretty essential uh, viewing, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> to say the least. Um, what else? Oh, we are on Twitter at Uncovering UM. Um, that's uh, let me let me double check that to make sure that is actually our handle at Uncovering. Um... Yeah, we are at Uncovering UM. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, we post exclusive Twitter content. Oh yeah, I almost fucking forgot. I can't believe I almost forgot this. Uh, me and uh, Michelle over here, we will be on the Perhaps It's You podcast. Yes. Um, in their next upcoming episode, we will be featured on there. We, we are reuniting with the ladies, Liz and Samantha, again. And I finally know the difference in their voices i know which one is liz and i know which one is samantha i i i i, I still don't know so. <laughs> oh god <laughs> so yeah we'll be flying all the way to minnesota and they will be taking us to the uh international cheese museum or wherever the hell they have up in minnesota <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> no we aren't going to minnesota but <laughs> the, the powers of the internet you will definitely. We'll we'll be in Minnesota in spirit. Yes, but that's that's going to be happening tomorrow. So if you want a double dose of us this week, and who wouldn't, honestly, um, you can do that. You can you can check their podcast out. Perhaps it's you. They're on iTunes, etc. So on and so forth. I'm going to Applebee's now to sit on the back patio and play music for two people and eat some uh, <laughs> free food because that's a part of the contract. I love your- <laughs> Two people. Yeah, dude, it's it's <laughs> it's the easiest money I will ever make, but it's kind of sad at the same time. Uh, um, I'm gonna go uh, have sushi with my with my parents. So, well, I hope you enjoy that. And then night. I'm gonna spend all night writing essays for my foreign film class, which is gonna be loads of fun. I'm really looking forward. If to there's that. any brainiacs out there that want to help Mike cheat his way through college, uh, drop. Mike a line on his Facebook page <laughs> and uh, he would be very grateful for that now I know you didn't ask me to say that Mike but I know you wanted it said so I'm just throwing it out there uh, alright 
So uh, that's all we really have for you this week. Until next week. you enjoyed it. Uh, Until next week and until you finish the Perhaps It's You podcast that will also be on tomorrow. Goodbye. See ya. What's up, everybody? Just wanted to remind you that my album, Koyana Scotsy, is still out for uh, purchase on CD. I got about 10 CDs left, so if you want an actual hard copy, you might want to get on that soon. Uh, I can sign it for you, whatever you want. I don't know if I'm going to do a second run on those or not. And the album digitally is available on iTunes and anywhere else where you can buy digital music. Thanks. Ain't nobody bad like the media man. Say that again. Ain't nobody bad like the media man. All right. (laughs) Got that into my thingamafuck. Uh, That's a nice word. Thingamafuck. Thingamafuck. Thingamafuck one and thingamafuck two. You sound sound rather chipper today, Mike. Oh, I'll I'll save that. I'll save that statement for the podcast. Don't, don't, (laughs) don't respond to that. Uh, <laughs> this is so crazy how we do this shit. Um, yeah, no, I am sick. Um, which I'll save that for the podcast as well. I don't mind when my crotchless panties creep right up on me. Oh, now, 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 now it rings the bell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, running with scissors was the first. <clears throat> that was the first. I think that was. I think we went to the music store and we bought that and Bad Hair Day on cassette. And, oh, cassette! Yeah, on wow. ca- on cassette. I remember, <laughs> dude. I remember going to music stores where, like, there was a whole wall of cassettes. On on like, you'd go to the wall, mm-hmm. and they just were all there, and you you'd read it by the spine, you know, on the cassette, you know, and so they were all just there, and they ha- had these like plastic casings that they were in, like, with this fucking handle. And you had to take it to the counter, and they took it out of the <laughs> casing or whatever. And um, yeah, like reminds me of what CDs had at Tower Records and other places like that, which are these. Uh, those were dumb, though. It was like the CD was <clears throat> stuck in this window in this giant cardboard rectangle. Yeah, or some shit. I remember that. Yeah, what was the point of that? How- I think it was to prevent it from being stolen. Instead of putting like a security tag inside the CD case, they decided to make the security tag in the box. Put oh, the security okay. tag in the box. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because if somebody wants to steal it, you know, tearing it out of that flimsy cardboard rectangle <laughs> would be so difficult. It's like, ah, damn it. I was going to steal this. <laughs> new Atlantis Morissette CD, but this this flimsy cardboard is no match for my puny, weakling <laughs> muscles. Uh, yeah, I, Best Buy is not selling CDs anymore, or they're mm. gonna start phasing them out. Big fucking surprise! I made a fucking video about that like a year and a half ago, and, <laughs> and you know, the downfall of physical media or whatever, and uh, it was like... There seems to be a collector's market still for uh, physical media when it comes to movies, but and games, but I can see the CD thing going down because unlike movies and games, 
it's not really the same thing. Like there really wasn't like there might have been a few people who were like, man, I gotta have the CD, but it's it's not really as widespread as because I mean when you think about CDs, it's like oh it's the music and that's great and that's wonderful, but like with a Blu-ray, you can get like behind the scenes documentaries and audio commentaries and extras and stuff like that that. Most of the time, CDs don't really have. I've seen unless you, you're um, like really, really into that. I've seen, unless you buy like some limited edition that probably has a DVD that comes with it. I've seen you talk before about um, like uh, a DVD or a Blu-ray having like really weak bonus features. Is that like a thing that DVDs are graded on? Like how good the bonus features are? Um, shit? For DVDs and Blu-rays, well, at least from it, it's not just the features for me. It's also the picture quality. It's the remastering. Well, yeah, especially with obviously. Blu-rays. Like, if you're not really put, if it if remaster is like terrible, like for instance, the Predator Ultimate Edition is notorious for being absolutely shitty in terms of its transfer because the film was DNR'd, which is a digital noise, uh, something I, I'm trying to remember. Probably reduction, I would R. imagine. Yeah, digital noise reduction. And it's DNR'd too deaf to the point where the film looks glossy and waxy uh. and it looks really, really awful. So, um, that kind of thing, or, uh, there was a cult film that I like called Moontrap that got a release on Blu-ray finally, but it's from this fuck face named Oliver Keckel from Germany who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing and takes a 35 millimeter print, puts it through whatever systems he has, and he DNRs the fuck out of it by taking out all of the film grain. So then it just looks really shitty. Like, I mean, it looks so artificial. The It's a cheap or low-budget movie anyway with Walter Cohen uh, from uh, Star Trek, Chekhov. And the, with, with his transfer, it, is just, it looks so bad. It's so bad that it looks worse than the VHS or the Laserdisc. Wow. That's really yeah, saying and a lot something. Yeah, and a lot of the reviews for that Blu-ray are bad. And the special features are not very good either because this guy doesn't know how to make those. It's like he's interviewing Bruce Campbell, who has a cameo part in that film. And even Bruce Campbell is like calling him out like, really? Like even Bruce Campbell, you can look at him like, this is this is this is what I'm here for. Like this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And the audio is so bad with these with these interviews. It sounds like he recorded them in a broom closet. Yeah, it's so bad terrible and it's it's upsetting to me because it's like i think that's a fun movie and a gem but people who go and see the movie they're just stuck with that shitty transfer and it's not really the best way the best representation of the film and neither is the awful direct-to-video sequel i mean i i have a lot of respect for tex ragsdale who wrote the script but uh that that is awful and um yeah, the reason why is because he actually saw one of the tributes. I, I did a music video edit, like an FMV, to a moon trap with the ACDC song Who Made Who. And the writer of the film actually left a comment on my YouTube channel and was, you know, congratulating me and, you know, saying it was a good job and, and stuff like that. So I kind of like have a, I have a soft spot for text, but nah, man, no. That, that 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 sucked. I thought film grain was a uh, like a charming uh, aspect of old movies. It it is in, in some aspects. I mean, if it's so grainy, it's that's just a bad print that you shouldn't be using. But it's part of the film. 
And this guy was on the Blu-ray forums arguing that no, it's not. And then the other Blu-ray, you know, forum regulars are like, "You are a fucking dumbass. <laughs> You've ruined the movie." <laughs> so yeah. On inspection of this vehicle, it was not a viable vehicle at all. It had no engine. Two by fours were holding up the real. Re Let me do that take again. <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> Remix. <laughs> The pen is blue! Royal blue! <laughs> I don't know what that is. Liar, liar. Oh. Jim Carrey. <laughs> Alright. You haven't seen that one? I have, but I don't remember this shit like you. Like, you remember it like you saw it yesterday. I, I haven't seen that movie in like 20 years. Alright. <clears throat> On inspection of this vehicle, it was not a viable vehicle at all. It had no engine. Two by fours were holding up the real rear. Wow, that's a hard word for me to say. Let's do a take three. <laughs> Sounded like a car. Rear, rear, air, 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 On its. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna give an example. No, it was just it was just you know uh, this how we how we said it. I can't replicate Robert's tack. <laughs> we got another edit. <laughs> All covered with cheese. <laughs> My life tonight is gonna suck dick when I leave Applebee's. Because <laughs> of all the. She was the really edits. a man. She... Named Jerry Dean Michael. She was a man, baby. Yeah, that's kind of how he, he said it in this typical way. We should just do an all fraud episode. I think we've done all the good frauds. <laughs> we've drained that well. Of most of the frauds. I don't think I don't think we talked about Ron Rushton. We haven't talked about the sports memorabilia guy. And I think there's a few others that eh, some well, smaller ones fine. that are pretty short. But well, that's fine. We can save by this me. for Save this for the B roll. Alright. Well, so that's another edit? <laughs> Fuck me, yeah. dude. With the edits. <clears throat> it's a bit off, you know, people don't really want to might not want to hear us in the podcast talk about what we're going to do possibly do next um this is going for, my fault. it's going for a world fucking record here my fault no it's i've had my faults in this as well <laughs> all right so i don't have anything else to say about liz carmichael except uh may she rest in peace and um i hope she's happy uh, wherever she is uh, that was very that was very nice michael um <laughs> Do not tell anybody about this, you see? So, but the UFO incident was still very much alive. Um, actually, this is... Uh, uh, fuck. Is, it, is this an edit? This, is, this yes. is literally the most edits we've ever had by far in any of our podcasts. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> All right.